Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Universal Hitchhiker Podcast. My name is Jeff Force. Uh, with me is, as always, is Matt Willers and Jamie Fawson Kemper. Uh, today, we are going to be talking with Ryan Rosoff of Little King uh, and about his latest EP that just came out not too long ago. Um, so, hello, Ryan. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Where is everybody? We didn't uh, we didn't discuss locations, did we? Uh, we are all in Phoenix. Oh, are you really? Cool. Except I went for you. To, I went to uh, the University of Arizona for a couple of years, actually. My mom uh, mom still lives in Tucson, so I've got a lot of Arizona roots. Works up. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> where are you right now? I think you meant to say, my friend. Yeah, you have an yeah, ASU where, where alum. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you at? All right. You're in the East Coast, right? I am. Uh, as we speak, I'm sitting somewhere, some way. I found myself in Delaware. Uh, still hard to believe sometimes. I grew up in Seattle and, as I said, spent a lot of time in Arizona and Texas and California. But uh, here I am. It's awesome. Yeah, you've been all over. And I saw you were a teacher at one point. Uh, you've done a few things. Yeah, I'm a gypsy a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I get bored easily, you know, so... Yeah. I've always been consistently inconsistent as far as making music is concerned. So it seems like after the first couple of records, which were, uh, you know, successive years in 97 and 98, it seems like I make a record about every four or five years. But in between time, I have had a lot of different careers. As you said, I was an English teacher in El Paso, Texas for a couple of years and was a paralegal for a while. I own a team building company now. I've been an event planner. Um, I've done a little bit of everything. You know, like I said, I get bored easily. So seems that uh it seems i like to move every four or five years well it seems like you're pretty consistent with music because you've been doing that pretty well for since what 96 right yeah this band little king formed in 96 um out of the ashes of another band we were playing a lot of clubs and bars and things in the southwest um played a lot in phoenix even back in the day um where you guys are so once that band split up i was kind of into the trio thing uh so I had written a bunch of very mediocre songs and uh, got them recorded <laughs> with a very mediocre recording. And uh, that was 1997. Actually, it's been about 23 years, almost exactly. It was May of 97. I turned uh, 25. I graduated from college and I released my first album all within 24 hours. So that was a pretty big deal back in 97. But uh, did that and then released another called Time Extension 98. And then from there, it's, as I said, you know, it seems like every four or five years um, I put out another release, although. You know, now that things have changed a little bit, we've got some momentum. I think that's going to that's gonna accelerate quite a bit. We have some plans for this year and into next year. So pretty excited about having some new music here fairly soon, which is neat. All right. Uh, Jamie, you have any questions with the new album? Um, yeah. So specifically the skin I'm into just because I'm a sucker for any instrument that comes in, like besides, obviously I love guitar, drum, classic, but like I heard the violin and I got hooked just because I love that. Yeah. Is that something that you do a lot or is there any other instruments that you like to bring into your music that you make? You know, it, it's a great question, Jamie. And it seems like every record that I've made, there's one or two little guest performances. I think because we've always, or I've always made music in the context of being a trio, you know, bass, drums and guitar with some vocals. Um, I think it just brings a little bit of flavor in to, to add some things. And so 
as you said, you know, my friend Christina Hernandez and, and David Hamilton actually played a little cello and, uh, and violin duet on that. Um, actually, David wrote the arrangement for that. And it just kind of gives that song, a, you know, a, an interesting little vibe. I think it's very um, evocative of the lyrics. I think it really complements sort of the theme of the song. And oh, that's really when it comes in, that's really sort of the height of the paranoia that the, uh, that the protagonist is going through. And so when it just cuts out and it's guitar and, and bass and vocals and, and that violin kind of, you know, mimicking that melody, I really felt like it was a, um, it was an opportunity to do something a little bit different. It's cool that you latched onto that because I think it does, like I said, create a little different mood and not a lot of bands do that, especially. Yeah, in the that's why I love it. Especially because a lot, like a lot of the music is, guitar which is awesome we have a lot of guitar solo kind of bass stuff but that violin came in and i immediately got yeah cool i, I really appreciate that and, and and i know uh you know i'd never met them before or never met her before and she came and she just crushed it like in one take and she looked at me is there anything else and i'm like nope <laughs> high five you're done oh you killed it thanks <laughs> crushed it yeah absolutely do you play any other instruments yourself i'm a really poor uh drummer so, um, yes, I, I play is a relative term. I can, you know, I'm, I'm self-taught on the guitar. I've been playing for a really long time, Jamie, but I taught myself how to play. So I'm not the most proficient reader of music. I can certainly read, but I can't sight read for guitar or anything else. So everything I do really is by ear, uh, believe it or not. So, you know, I've taught myself how to play piano a little bit over the years. My son's actually a fairly accomplished young pianist. He's, he's getting pretty good and he's, he can read music at this point a lot better than I can. So... Um, I'm, I dabble in that and I, I certainly can play the bass, you know, it's just the first four strings of the guitar. So, you know, I can do that, but, uh, I've, I've always tried to be a drummer, but there's something about having that independence of, you know, four things on the drums going on at the same time, you know, left foot, right foot, left hand, right hand. And, you know, I complain sometimes about having to play complex melodies on the guitar and singing at the same time. <laughs> and then I look at the drummer doing four things at the same time. And I very quickly shut my mouth yeah, and talent. put my head down and do my job. <laughs> That's funny. So I know you said, cause you've had a lot of careers and everything. Are you trying to focus more on music prominently now? You know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's a conscious choice, honestly, Jamie. I mean, the thing is I've always been sort of what you call a responsible adult. I, I was married really young. I got married at age 20 actually. Um, okay. And then had a child when I was, you know, my, well, I didn't have the child. I, I, I cheerleaded in the, in the uh, delivery room, but, but we had a child. My first wife and I had a child when I was 24. And then, um, you know, I had another one 10 years after that. So I've got two kids and, um, you know, I've always taken that responsibility really seriously in terms of being a parent. I didn't want to be a, an absent, you know, cliche, uh, on the road musician, parent, ne'er do well, not supporting their kids. So I've always prioritized that. And, you know, in conjunction with that, you have to make a living somehow and, I didn't want to live, you know, hand to mouth. And so, you know, I had careers and things and, and, and built businesses that, that, that could support me while I was pursuing music. But, you know, the response and the reception of this EP in particular of all the stuff I've ever done has been really overwhelmingly good. So I think it's sort of lending itself maybe to a little bit more of a priority and a little bit more of a focus in my life. And, and who knows? I mean, I'm getting older now and, you know, I've, I'm getting to that age now where friends are starting to die or friends are starting to get older and get sick. And it's really a shocking thing as you get into your you know, your mid forties, you start to see a lot more of that. And so really starting to step back a little bit and, to, and focus on the things that bring, bring me joy and that, that can sort of leave a last, lasting legacy. And, and music has always been about leaving a legacy as a creative person. So, you know, to me now it's like, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my days? You know, what are the things that I want to focus on? And certainly 
nothing other than, you know, spending time with my family and my kids, nothing brings me more joy than creating music. So, you know, so much the better if people actually give a shit about it and they, you know, they care and, and it's interesting to me and it's fun to create and it doesn't, you know, completely run me bankrupt. Then, you know, certainly the more effort, the more focus I can put into it, the better for sure. Yeah, of course. That was awesome. I'm glad you like that song. It's cool. It was, it's so It's so fun to talk to people. It's actually reaching. Um, and you never know, you know, you sit behind a computer, you sit on your bed with your guitar and you go to the studio and you make these songs. And sometimes I think it becomes such a process and so process oriented that you really forget that you're actually creating some art that, you know, that the intention is to touch somebody and to have it resonate with them. So it's always yeah, really refreshing. And, well, and that's really why cool. this is cool. Like Jeff had mentioned, just because all three of us are kind of just musically different. Like we are kind of just drawn to different music. So like yeah. this I probably would have never heard of you otherwise. So I got to experience it and I, I loved it. So I uh, appreciate Good job, that. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, Matt probably has some production questions for you. Well, most likely. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know about production, but okay. Um, yeah, just a, just a bunch of just diving in a little deeper. So you've been around since 96, Jeff said. Yeah. Um, have, has it been the same lineup all the time or, or have you changed seed album to album or how'd you meet the people you're here with now? And, and, and yeah, how, how long, how has it come along over the years? So many questions about, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, let's start. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, give us a whole biography. Right? <laughs> the whole bio, right. I'll just run it back. <laughs> so the, the, the first part of the question was it is, or the answer is it's been a different lineup every time. Okay. And that wasn't necessarily intentional either. It's just, mm -hmm. as you guys know, because you're involved in music and you talk to a lot of musicians and bands, it's really hard to keep a band together. Um, it's, you're much more likely to break up than you are to be unsuccessful um, in, in the music industry as a band. So as is sort of the, you know, the theme of my life, I, I'm a driver, you know, I'm, I'm pretty motivated and I, I'm, I like to accomplish things. And when you rely on other people, particularly in this business, to get things done, you, you set yourself up for failure. So I knew that if I wanted to continue to be successful, you know, and be creative, I was going to kind of have to drive. And so as it's evolved, you know, I've had the same drummer, Eddie uh, Garcia, for the last three albums. And Eddie's super accomplished with other bands. He's, he's played with Ministry. He's toured and played with Overkill. He has his own band called Pissing Razors, which is a thrash metal band. And he's incredibly talented and accomplished. So He's sort of my right-hand man. He's played drums in the last three albums, and he's engineered the last four. So Eddie's really been a consistent member of Little King, you know, basically for the last 15 or so years. Um, Manny Tejeda is the bass player, and he's a guy that I met in Delaware about three or four years ago. And we just he's – a, he's a wingnut, man. He, he's, he's super crazy and fun, and he's got a lot of flavor to his playing and just to his personality. He's a huge, larger-than-life personality. And so we just kind of hit it off, and – he brings a lot of different, you know, melodic sensibilities and rhythmic sensibilities because he is from the Caribbean, you know, he's a Dominican. So um, just hears music a little bit differently, but yet we say have the same, you know, kind of influences um, in terms of, you know, contemporary rock and, you know, some of the classic rock and classic prog and metal. So Manny and Eddie together are the guys that form the backbone of this band with me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a different, you know, different drummer bass uh, combination, literally uh, all six of my releases. And then when we tour, I sometimes bring in some other musicians kind of depends on who's available and what the vibe of what it, I'm trying to do is at that particular time. But um, it's cool. You know, I like bringing in different people. It yeah. makes it fun. It makes it interesting. It puts, you know, different little eyebrows on each one of the compositions. It kind of gives a little different vibe to each one of the records. And, yeah. you know, of course I like to make music with my friends. I mean, all these guys I consider to be really close friends and it's been like that, you know, from the jump from the first record that I made. So 
it's really cool to be able to listen back and remember certain memories and certain things about the guys and, and, and the women that I've played with in the studio and brings a smile to my face. You know, a lot of stories, most of them, which, uh, which I can't really, uh, I can't really say in the, in the, in this kind of setting, or at least a lot of them, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been eclectic. It's been a lot of different lineups, but I really like this particular group of Eddie and Manny right now. And I'm, I'm 95% sure that that's going to be the lineup moving forward and, and making the next record this year. Good, good. Yeah, I noticed a lot of a lot of different influences. And I, I mean, I have more of a metal background. So when I listen cool. to it, I, I catch I catch some of the metal side of it. But like I like I hear Iron Maiden, some Zeppelin, some Rush, Definitely. 80s hair metal, stuff like that. Um, but but that's just what I'm getting out of it. What are some of your uh, influences when you when it comes to writing stuff like that? Because sure. on top of it, it's just I wouldn't classify what you're doing as metal. So, yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, I I grew up, you know, I grew up in the late seventies and the early eighties when I first kind of got into music. And so my dad was listening to the Stones and the Beatles a lot in the, you know, those are some of my first memories of music. And my mom was listening to some, some really horrendously bad stuff, which I won't, you know, call out, (laughs) but, you know, I love mom and she she and I still really close, but, you know, I like to say that she, fortunately I wasn't infected with her, with her musical uh, taste. So my brother was really the one that got me into music. He's three years older than I am. And the first records he were bringing home were, you know, just as you said, a lot of, a lot of Zeppelin and some Iron Maiden, even some Quiet Riot, you know, back in the day, Bang Your Head and all that metal health. Um, So early eighties metal, I wouldn't say hair metal so much. I sort of, I I, I don't want to say I looked down on it, but I I definitely, you know, Guns N' Roses and Jane's Addiction a little bit from that era, but you know, not Cinderella, Poison, White Snake. That wasn't really my thing, but I would say much more the classic stuff like Rush and Pink Floyd and Zeppelin mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, Steely Dan later on and, and the Talking Heads are, are, are bands that I've really listened to. And I think it's interesting. It's really hard to classify Little King music. And I appreciate that. I think it's not something that I do intentionally. I don't want to try and fly the flag of being yeah. different, so to speak, but it really is sort of a synthesis of all of those influences and the things that you're talking about. And, and I think you know, hopefully that comes out of something that sound, ends up sounding like me and said, you know, sounds pretty unique. So, so, so how would it, how would you, how would you describe it to somebody who hasn't heard it before without comparing it to other bands? Yeah. I think the best description that's been given to me, I mean, you could say prog rock, but we're not that progressive. Mm-hmm. The songs aren't 15 minutes with eight time changes and me singing in the highest octave possible. So, yeah. but I think progressive rock is. Yeah. But but you know we do use different time signatures and we uh-huh. change keys and and so I think there's some progressive elements to it. I think we're a little bit of an alternative rock band, you know, in terms of the fact that I like hooks, I like mm-hmm. songs, I like things that you can sing along to and remember. So those things. But I think more than anything, the best description is dynamic. I think we're a dynamic rock band. I'd like to think that on Occam's Foil, you know, on the EP, you can go from the quietest of the quiet to the loudest of the loud and all yeah. points in between. And so, you know, within the, within the framework of an EP of five songs, if I could touch all of those different points in terms of the dynamics, um, it feels successful to me. It feels like a successful journey of 20 minutes through music. So more than anything, if someone asked me, I guess my elevator pitch, so to speak, would be we're a dynamic rock band. That's awesome. Yeah, I have to agree with Jamie on that, that the skin that I'm in is is it's it's just brilliant like it, it it crosses so many different elements of music into one song like i, I can hear it as is like an iron maiden ballad almost ah. all the way up to uh, like you yeah, get like caught off guard in like the best way yeah yeah it yeah, it carries in its own way and then all of a sudden when you get into the the chorus it's like whoa where did that come yeah. from because it's completely 
I, I don't want to use the word off base, but but it's completely different than what you're going to expect it to yeah, lead so you into. You can't help but like be on the edge yeah. of your seat like the whole time, which is awesome. So the whole four minutes that this song is playing, you're like waiting for more. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you've got this funky melodic song, and then all of a sudden, like Jamie said, this violin comes in out of nowhere, and you're like, what? And then you're like, oh, it <laughs> meshes perfectly. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, that yeah. song, um, it evolved over time, and and I always had heard that string section in my head in, in the middle in that second break. You know, the lyrics obviously are really personal. Uh, I went through a tough time, you know, with divorce and kind of the disintegration of marriage, and really having to be at a point where I had to look myself in the mirror after two, you know, failed marriages and kids by each of them. And really, you know, you get to a point in your life where you're like, it's, it's time to stop blaming everybody else and, and, and be a little more self-reflective and a little more introspective and start, start to take ownership of where you are in your life. And so that song was really reflecting on that time, um, you know, that I had gone through and really kind of marked myself safe from harm, you know, at that point where that song was sort of the triumph at the end of it, but, you know, discusses some, problems with marital infidelity and and it discusses a little bit of the paranoia that can come come with some of those things and um sort of purging that and, and getting to a place in your life where you're at one with the skin with, that you're in you know i'm basically at a point now where i'm comfortable with who i am and i'm comfortable with the choices that i've made and, and understanding that i haven't always done things correctly and the people maybe haven't always made the best choices with people and with places and with careers and things of that nature but i'm still comfortable i'm still happy with where i'm at so I wanted the lyrics obviously to reflect that and then hopefully the music to reflect that as well. And it, it definitely has resonated with people. And, and this isn't the first conversation obviously I've had about the song. Um, it doesn't hurt to play and it doesn't hurt to listen to, but it, it sure as hell hurt to write a little bit. It was, sure. it was a cathartic process for me to kind of purge all that stuff out of my past. And that guitar solo, just, you know, so, you know, it was one take. I, I sat down and I ripped that all the way through and, and it was awesome. just, I mean, it really was literally me putting the guitar on when the song was over and, and rolling tape and, and, you know, finishing it, looking up at Eddie, the engineer, and being like, I, th I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. You know, that, yeah. I think we're done with it. And, and, and sure enough, you know, I had literally never even rehearsed a solo for that. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. Wow. Um, I knew what key we were in. I knew where the change was. I knew that I wanted to go to, you know, 64th notes in the second, you know, the second stanza of that or the second half of that. But, you know, short of that, I had no idea. But, you know, it really was basically a direct conduit from my spirit you know into the guitar and then you know into your ears and so I'm, I'm glad that it worked i'm glad that it reached you guys it's cool yeah definitely jeff what uh you got you got some stuff i got lots of stuff so Always. your writing process is that is that all you then all the songs throughout the history of the band it is yeah um basically the way it works is I have an old acoustic guitar that my dad gave me back in uh, 1988 for Christmas. So it's literally my oldest surviving possession, Jeff. It's like 32 years old almost. Uh, all the moves, all the places I've lived, all the in various incarnations of my life, that's the one thing that survives. So basically what I do is when it's time to write and I'm moved by the spirit of either just, you know, the muse or just when it's time to make a record, you know, and I know it's time. I'll sit down, I'll just start fingering chords and running through exercise and, and really just trying to get my chops back to a place where I'm not super embarrassed to play guitar in front of people. And then at that point, I write all the music first. Um, I'll bring the songs to Manny or whoever's playing the bass. I'll work through the parts. They'll make suggestions, you know, hey, let's double this part. What if you play this, you know, why don't you transpose this an octave down or why don't I play this key? So I definitely write all the songs but I definitely run them through the ears and the fingers of the people that I'm playing with as well. So once the music is done, I like to 
you know, with last time in particular, we recorded all the music and then that was it. And I had some framework for lyrics, but I really didn't know, you know, exactly what they were going to be. So I took the, the rough mixes home and I put the headphones on and I spent about three weeks writing and singing and singing again and editing. And, you know, as a, I have a background in writing and creative writing. And so to me, it's a process of editing and avoiding cliches as much as you can and, and using some metaphors and some imagery and, trying to paint pictures with words. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, writing and rewriting lyrics, but that's always been the process, Jeff. It really has always been a, a process of music first lyrics and keep in mind, we're three piece live too, almost all yeah. the time. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure that I can play these fairly complex parts on a guitar yeah. with my eyes closed in a dark room, you know, after half a bottle of maker's mark. I mean, I got to make sure <laughs> that I have that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sober now. So I'll, I'll retract the last part of that, but, <laughs> but, you know, I got to make sure that I can play those songs front to back without ever even thinking about it before I even get to the words. And once I've got that, then I can, you know, then I can go and start writing the words and writing the melodies to what it is that I've already written musically. So if the lyrics come last, then that means that because I know after what six albums, um, a lot of artists will have stuff that they've left from the previous album on the cutting room floor that they pick up and say, let's try this again and rework. I'm assuming that you don't go that route most likely everything's fresh each album you know it's it's a great question it's interesting i don't have any tidbits that are left over anymore i have had riffs and and phrases survive that didn't make the cut from one album to the next because they just weren't ready to be born uh so that's happened a few times through the years there's a song called domino that came out on legacy of fools in 2008 and that riff had been written gosh probably 10 years earlier and it just never made the cut um there's a song that we'll be putting on the next record. Um, it doesn't have a title yet, but it was there were a good there was a good portion of that that was ready to go on Aquas Foil, and it just it wasn't it wasn't jiving. It wasn't meeting the criteria that I have for the album. It just wasn't ready. Now it's ready. I feel really good about it. So there are a few things here and there, but I don't spend a lot of time on something that doesn't feel like it's it, it's it's worthy of completion because I put a lot of time and energy and effort, obviously, and, and, and anxiety into, into these creations, these compositions. So from that standpoint, I'm not going to I'm not going to half bake stuff. It just doesn't make any sense to me you know, to do things that way. So at the end of it, if I come back to something and I say, God, you know, that's just not ready to go, I, I get rid of it. and I move on to the next thing. But I do only write one song at a time. I do have to say that I can't be the guy that has three or four things going on at the same time. My brain doesn't work like that. I don't compart. I, I have to compartmentalize. I can't multitask when I'm writing songs. I, I put all my time and energy and effort and thought process into a particular composition. And when it's 98 percent done or so, maybe a couple little things left over then I can move to the next one. But I don't have a whiteboard of 10 songs moving at the same time. It really is from, you know, from one station to the next, to the next. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, the album itself, Occam's Foil, is a play on Occam's Razor, correct? That's right. Um, and I was reading that this is a lot um, due, due in part to the loss of Neil Pert. He actually passed away after the album came out. So Neil died in January of 2020. Um, the album was released late 2019, but he was definitely and has been, you know, in my life, a huge influence, not only lyrically and musically, but just in terms of some of his philosophies um, of life. So I wouldn't say that necessarily that the theme of this album was influenced by him directly, but indirectly he's had a, you know, a massive influence on me and, and, not, as I said, not just through his music, but also through his writings through the books that he's released and just sort of his, his general philosophy of how he approached his life in a, 
in terms of professionalism, in terms of, you know, working at his craft of always reinventing himself of, um, he was another guy that never left any songs on the cutting room floor. They never had, they don't have any leftover tracks, you know, as far as yeah. the two surviving <laughs> members are concerned. So, um, so yeah, Occam's Spoil was not influenced by Neil directly, but certainly indirectly. He's a, he's been a major influence in my life, you know, since I, since I heard Rush at age, you know, 12 or whatever, for sure. Do, do a lot of the albums and songs, um, have that kind of reference with other bands and other influences or does it just kind of depend on what the process is at the time you know i can't re recall too many times where i've been in the middle of a composition or i've been in the studio and said god you know i really like this to sound more like that um it flows from a place within me that that is certainly a you know an amalgamation or a compilation of all of the different influences that have you know that have gotten to me through the years um there was one guitar part on the foil from the new album where I did actually kind of vamp talking heads a little bit. I had just seen David Byrne live in concert. It was just a really mind blowing experience. I don't know if you guys are familiar with American Utopia and his last concert tour, uh, you know, David Byrne performing the talking heads, but it yeah. was an amazing, amazing experience live. It blew my mind. You know, I've seen a thousand shows and, and it was one of the ones that'll last me forever. So I did want to pay a little homage to that, but, um, I think through the years, more than music, Jeff, I would say literature has had, you know, some influence on the themes and things. Um, I listen to a lot of classical music in my downtime uh, around the house, particularly when I'm working on, you know, when I'm working on business or if I'm just kind of chilling out, you know, in the backyard, I have a lot of Vivaldi and Mozart and Bach that I listen to as well. So I think there's some, I incorporate some of that, but no, I wouldn't say that, you know, for a particular composition or a particular album, I'm, I'm, consciously pulling from any other influences i think they're just in there because they're in there there's not really much i can do about it okay uh the last question as far as the music and everything goes um you you mentioned how um you know obviously a lot of personal things come out uh, in the album or in all your songs um and some of it's hard to write i'm sure and some of it's easy to write and either way it's emotional in one way or another so yeah. my question is, is if you weren't a musician or a music artist, how do you think you would express your feelings if you were in a different, in a different place and you didn't, you have music? Yeah, probably very violently. No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. I was, as I said, I, I have a, I have a degree in creative writing. So I, I went to college kind of with the intent of being a novelist um, and also writing screenplays. I've actually written a couple screenplays, works for hire that will probably never get produced because they're not very good, quite honestly, but that, you know, I took a stab at it and it is what it is. Um, I think I would always be writing. I love short fiction. I, I'd love to read. I don't get as much time necessarily as I wish I did, but I, I think I would certainly be expressing myself through the written word somehow. Uh, some way I do draw. I like to paint a little bit. Again, I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly good at it, but it does, you know, give me an outlet, another creative outlet. Um, you know, those are the things it, it's, it's so hard to, it's so hard to say hypothetically what I'd be doing. This has been such a part of me for such a long time. It's a really good question. I, I wish I had a better answer. I, I certainly think through the written word, if nothing else, if I wasn't writing lyrics, I certainly would be writing fiction and nonfiction and, and probably blogging and pissing a million people off on uh, social media for sure. I know I'd be doing that because I'm doing it anyways. We got it. All right. Um, we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear one of Ryan's songs uh, from Little King. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us what we're about to hear? As this uh, first song from the album, this is called Hate Counter, is inspired by our 
trip down to El Paso, Texas and seeing the camps where migrant children were being held in detention on the border, as well as the shooting that happened uh, at the Walmart in El Paso in uh, July of 2019. So uh, this is a song that was inspired by that. And there's a little bit of rage in this one for sure. So I hope you guys dig it. Hate Counter. Yeah. 
All right, welcome back. Um, we're still here with Ryan. Uh, we're going to talk about a few current things. Um, I mean, the elephant in the room, it seems that everybody always wants to talk about recently or, or right now is the whole coronavirus. virus. Um, and you're in Delaware, so um, we all know what Phoenix is like. Um, just to give you an idea, we were doing, we're doing social distancing and, I mean, somewhat of a quarantine because it seems like most people are still active. Uh, but um, it was supposed to end on the 30th of April. We just got the announcement today that it's extending to the 15th. Um, restaurants and stuff like, and, and gyms and things like that are supposed to get some further instructions on how they're going to start to reopen uh, next week. Um, so tell me what it's like where you're at and what you're going through. Yeah. So we are also extended until uh, May 15th. The general sense here is that it's going to last longer than that. Um, as, as we discussed off air, you know, I, I run a business that's based in Silicon Valley in, in Santa Clara County in California, which is San Jose, basically South Bay area. So uh, they were the first county, really. They in San Francisco County were the first ones to quarantine. So I kind of got hit early business shut down uh, in California. I, we, we haven't, I own a team building company. So basically we do corporate events uh, for a living. Right? That's what I do. And you know, last March, I think we had 23 events in one month. And uh, this, you know, this March we had zero because uh, everything canceled. So we were pretty prepared for it. I'd seen what was going on in California. Uh, Delaware is really considered part of the mid-Atlantic and also part of the Northeast. So we've sort of made, I don't know if you've seen that, but the states sort of have regional pacts. And we've glommed on to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and I believe maybe Massachusetts is also part of all that. I'm not sure. But um, we are a small state, uh, second smallest state area wise, and, you know, less than a million people in terms of population, but we're also bracketed by Philadelphia and Washington, DC and Baltimore. All those places are about two hours from my house. So we're, while we're isolated and sort of rural, we're also at the confluence of a lot of major cities. So there hasn't been a ton of activity down here, um, in the off season. Anyway, this is really a, a tourist destination. It's a resort town. People come here in the summer because we're, you know, we're on the beach. So uh, there's a ton of activity in the summertime, but certainly just like you guys, you know, businesses have, have all but, you know, completely closed down except essential businesses. So I don't know when it's going to end. I don't think anybody really knows when it's going to end, but unlike you guys, we haven't gotten any word in terms of gyms and restaurants and things like that. Just for now it's, it's essential businesses and, and, and that's it in Delaware for, you know, for the foreseeable future. And, you know, the governor here, uh, governor Carney likes to say that they're going to be guided by science and, and directed by, you know, what the experts are telling them. Well, I can find five different experts that say five different things. <laughs> so I'm right. not sure which experts necessarily they're going to be listening to. It's the experts, right? But, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, it seems, but it's pretty, it, it's still just a flicker right now. So there's nothing, there's nothing immediately happening in the state of Delaware anytime soon. Are you getting out? Do you do exercise, run on the, you know, run on the beach and stuff like that? I I do. They actually closed the beaches. Um, the first week we quarantined, everybody came from out of state, from Pennsylvania and from Jersey and from, uh, and from Maryland. And they came and they invaded our beaches. And it was the first week of social distancing and they blew it up. So the governor came down and literally shut down all the beaches, which really sucks because it's, uh, that was one of my main sources of exercise. But no, I, you know, I live in a kind of a rural area. There are a lot of bike trails and paths and my son lives with me too. So I basically been walking about six or seven miles a day. I've actually lost four pounds in quarantine, which is pretty remarkable. Um, so 
I've been working really hard. Probably the only one. I know. Well, I want to be that guy, Jamie. I want to be the guy that said that I actually could. You know. I wish I could say that. Yeah. Well, I'm stubborn. You know, I'm super stubborn in all aspects of life. So, I, uh, you know, I've been really, I've been very careful about my diet and exercise regimen. I've actually been zooming in uh, every night, four or five nights a week. I've got a group of friends from around the country. We all went to school together, grew up together. And one of them's in Connecticut, one's in Del- or one's in New York, one's in Seattle, one's in Minnesota, one's in California. And we've been doing these little 30-minute workouts every night at 5.30 Eastern. So, you know, it's great. I get to see my friends every night, these, these guys that I've known, some of them for over 40 years. So, you know, we've been pretty consistent with that. And you know, obviously playing a lot of guitar. I mean, we were planning on going, going on tour. And of course, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So I put my creative energy towards playing guitar out in the backyard. And I've really written just about five new songs, which is awesome. It was totally unexpected. But that's kind of what's come with this. So, you know, I'm sort of social. I'm sort of an expert at social distancing anyway. I'm kind of hermetically sealed in my house most of the time. And I've kind of lived you seem a- like you're staying pretty busy, so... I do. I do. I mean, I'm a restless spirit too. You know, I don't sit still well, but by the same token, I you know, have a pretty nice little setup at my house and a little home studio here and things that, you know, that can keep me occupied for the most part. I mean, I've watched all of, you know, um, uh, of the Tiger King or whatever the hell that was. I mean, I've seen all of those, <laughs> all three seasons of Ozark. You know, I've watched all that. Um, I beat up Netflix, man. I mean, Netflix loves me at this point. So, um, all that, yeah. I mean, I think I'm doing what everybody else is. I mean, just watching the diet and exercise regimen a little more strictly and trying to make sure. I mean, yeah, I couldn't come out of quarantine, you guys, and say, Oh, I didn't, I don't have any new songs. I mean, what the hell's wrong with me if I did that? So it's almost like, I mean, God, if I, if I can't write songs now, you know, with all the fodder for, <laughs> for, for lyrics and for music at this point, you know, that'd be pretty sad. So, so yeah, I've kept myself busy. I've tried to keep myself in as best shape as possible. And, you know, again, since there's no light really at the end of the tunnel, I, I think that. And things are status quo for a while. I'm probably just going to keep to the routine that I've got going at this point. So like two albums in the next like three months, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Dude, and then what? <laughs> right, right. It's then like, oh really... God, another Little King album? Really, <laughs> well, Ryan? Then you're going to really be ready to go on tour because you're like, I've got like three albums that I've got to show everybody. And every yeah. every single intro is going to be like, all right, folks, this next one's a new song off of one of our new albums in the past six months. <laughs> Jeff, don't think that that hasn't come up one or 11 times. In the last, in the last I don't weeks. doubt it's, it. It's one, it's one of those things. I mean, yeah, it's a wealth of riches, but I mean, my poor, you know, my poor audience is just like, oh my God, no opening band. What are you, Rush, dude? Come on. So, <laughs> settle down. I've got so much music, though. I got so much to share. And so I've been in the house for six months. <laughs> yeah, the poor people at the Big Fish Pub or wherever, the, the Bash on Ash or wherever the hell in Phoenix, they'll never get rid of me. Yeah. <laughs> and now for the seven-hour set. <laughs> <laughs> and they're prog rock songs this time, so they're all 26 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work awesome. Uh, yeah, you know what? You brought up something that, um, that e- even I've been doing is the uh, – the uh, social rooms, you know, and happy hours and stuff like yeah. that. We've done that a few. It's amazing that everybody's practicing social distancing, but yet this is bringing a lot of people closer together. I mean, everybody's kind of concerned about people they haven't talked to in a long time. And, you know, I've got friends, you know, back in Indianapolis and Chicago and a couple other areas that, you know, I don't really hardly ever talk to. Now I talk to them once a week. Um, I've gotten together with some people that used to work for me, you know, a few years ago. I mean, it's just, 
it's kind of cool, you know, and I, I hope that, you know, when things go back to normal, that that part doesn't, uh, because I think everybody needs that even more. I, so. I hope I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. There's no question. I live my life that way. I hope that people are learning some lessons and, and maybe I'm too optimistic, but I think a lot of good can come from this. I don't want to step into the, the cliche river too deeply, but there are a lot of things that, you know, as you said, the bonding with people that maybe you haven't necessarily stayed in touch with. I think my son and I are pretty close anyway. He's 13, but we spent a lot of time together and we do anyway, but this has been a little different. I've had a chance to parent a little harder. Obviously he hasn't been in school for a while. So I'm spending a lot of time talking with him and discussing not only his curriculum, but just life in general. And he's a pretty savvy kid. He understands really well what's going on around him, but he's still 13. So he doesn't necessarily have the bigger perspective that maybe, you know, you do as an adult. So bonding with kids, you know, diet, learning how to cook. I mean, as simple as maybe that sounds, a lot of people spend a lot of time, especially bachelors like me, spend a lot of time going to restaurants. Well, that's just not, that's not tenable anymore. So I'm an okay cook. I'm a vegetarian. I have been for 25 years. And so I've really had to revamp my entire dietary structure and, and really, make use of things around the house that I wouldn't necessarily, I love Brussels sprouts. Like who knew, you know, but there it is. Um, so all of those things, I, I would like to think we're going to be able to carry forward with us uh, experience from the crash in 2009. And then also, you know, nine 11 in 2001, where there were some glimmers of hope and glimmers of us coming together. I, I don't have a ton of faith that that's going to continue to be the norm moving forward, but Hey, hope springs eternal. If people can even take one lesson out of this to bring them a little closer and a little bit more present to, to what's going on now, then so much the better. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. The jury's going to be out for a while. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's all, and even when it does start to go back to normal, it's going to be an odd process. Oh, you know, that's the, the three of us are in the restaurant business. So, um, right. you know, we're... we're <laughs> I mean, we're feeling it, you know? Yeah, it's we're all doing to-go orders. Well, no, uh, sadly, Jamie's not. Uh, but <laughs> we're, right we're, we're doing sack food for everybody, which, you know, I mean, it, it works. It keeps us afloat. Uh, and yeah. having a having a job right now tends to be really good. Uh, so this, this is true. I've got, as I said, you know, Rehoboth Beach, where I live, um, is a very much a tourist destination for people throughout the summer, but it's really a service industry and a service economy that, that makes this place go. I would say half of my friends are bartenders and waiters and restaurant managers and restaurant owners. and They've been devastated and unemployment's good for some of them. For some of them, they're not qualified, uh, particularly if their owners weren't paying their unemployment insurance, which is brutal. Things mm. economically will bounce back. I think there's untold damage that's going to be done. I think the stimulus, you know, the 1200 bucks that people were getting is a, is a joke uh, because they didn't suspend rent or mortgage payments. So really what it is, is it's rent stimulus. It's landlord and, and bank stimulus because people are just taking that money and throwing it right back into the lenders and to, or into their, to their landlady or their landlord. So I don't know how much good that's going to really end up doing anybody, but you know, I don't make those kinds of decisions. I'm just a guitar player, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like right. a song coming on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> With the forks, I love it. Uh, With the forks. So, all right, we're doing, you do team building. You, you got to tell me that sometimes when you do these, um, 
when you do the team building exercises, you got that one guy or that one girl that sits in the back corner going, <laughs> this crap isn't going to help. How the hell does this have anything to do with what I do for work? How do you approach those kind of people? Every time that happens. <laughs> We've produced over a thousand events in the last eight years and every single event <laughs> has one or two of those. So there's no way around that. So uh, the way you approach it is in sort of how I approach humans and life in general is in as, as much of a disarming way as I possibly can and as hopefully as unpretentious as possible. I like, and I don't facilitate many of the events anymore. My staff does because I'm out here on the East Coast and 90% of our events are in California. So I'm, I'm typically the one that's booking the event and developing the curriculum. But my staff and my partner out in San Jose are the ones that are, that are facilitating and executing them. But basically, you just have to come out of the gate and be like, look, you know, we understand that you're 50 engineers from Apple. We're not looking to change the face of your organization over the course of a two-hour event. Anybody that says that's lying to you. So we're here to have a good time. All the things we do, you know, as a side note, are fun. We don't we don't try and, as I said, exact a ton of organizational development change and socio, uh, you know, socio development. We're really trying to make sure that people have a good time and get to work together. And if they can draw something out of that and have some learning transfers, some takeaway back to the office, and so much the better. But it's really for them to step away, do something that's creative and difficult and challenging and competitive with their with their friends that are you know outside the office. And I won't go into it, but there's obviously there's a mountain of research that indicates that that you know creates a, you know a lot of longevity and a lot of employee retention um there's a reason why google and apple and facebook do more team building than any other companies in the world it's because it works you know that's why and they're they're fairly successful companies last time i checked so yeah. do, can you overcome that yeah you can overcome it it's it's one of my favorite things to see that guy or that girl you know that lady in the back who's always got their arms folded like this and all of a sudden by the end of it they're in there fully participating it happens almost every time so it's pretty rewarding to see uh to see that but yeah you've obviously sat through a team building event and, and understand a little bit I how been, that, yeah. yeah i've been through a few yeah sorry about that man try to change the gig up for you a little bit call me next time you got when i come down we'll, we'll rock your world for sure it's All not right. it's not there are no trust no trust falls or holding hands and talking about feelings. <laughs> i remember one where we had to take a ladder and we had to put it there were like two trees, probably like 30 feet apart or maybe a little bit less. And we had to okay. take the ladder and, and put it, figure out a way to cross the, the imaginary river. I don't know. It, it was yeah. a long time. Yeah, that sounds awful. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that's to come up with new idea. stuff all the time. Well, we do. But I mean, we're, 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 we work hard at research and development. It's almost the same process as with music, you know, with writing songs. I mean, we use food trucks, so we create restaurants, and you have to make a dish and pair it with some alcohol and play some games and build a little restaurant and, and do a little marketing presentation, or you have to build bicycles for charity, or we have murder mystery scavenger hunts where we have professional actors stationed throughout downtown San Francisco, and you have to find them and engage them in conversations and solve a mystery. We have, you know, we have simple things like drone flying, you know, construction and, and flying competitions. Um, you know, go on and on. We've got 25 or 26 building catapults and shooting those drones out of the air. Um, GPS scavenger hunts where we've literally developed, you know, a proprietary app that leads you through a scavenger hunt. So all these things are fairly in-depth and fairly developed. We try to, you know, our mantra, our sort of mission statement is, 
you know, no cheese. So we try to be as uncheesy as we possibly can. We're constantly checking each other. My partner Jay and I are constantly saying, if we had, one of us has an idea, we'd be like, nah, dude, that sounds awful. It sounds like putting yeah. your ladder between two trees across 30 feet. <laughs> we don't want to do that. So. I think that's why a lot of people don't want to do them just because they feel like they're too cheesy. You know? Yeah. Well, I would say to you, my friends, <laughs> go visit our website, <laughs> teambuildingroi.com. Go check out what we have. And if you can't find five things on there that look cool, then I fail. You know, I, then I, I, I submit. Well, I'm already sold on the drone flying, man. <laughs> Drones are cool. The problem is, is to find places in San Jose that are, you know, that they're legal. There's one park in Sunnyvale that's about four minutes from Google. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of FAA restrictions on flying drones. So you got to be careful. You can't be invading, you know, federal airspace with those drones. So, I mean, you can't even imagine some of the hoops I've had to jump through with somebody. Well, you probably can't imagine with some of these. Per- I mean, getting permits in the city of San Francisco for a food truck event. I mean, you, you can't even imagine. You think Phoenix is bad. The red tape and the, you know, the Socialist Republic of San Francisco is unlike anything you've ever seen before, man. I never would have guessed uh, with San Francisco, (laughs) but yeah. So what what made you what made you get into the team building idea? It's just one of those things I fell into, dude. I mean, I was working as an event planner in San Francisco. I'd moved from Texas because I just I was done living in Texas. I'd had enough, and I was married at the time and had two young kids and. I wanted to live in California and my brother had spent a lot of time in San Francisco before and I was born in California and I've spent a lot of time in California throughout my whole life. So wanted to move back. I'm a huge Oakland Raiders fan or now Las Vegas Raiders, but San Jose is 45 minutes from the Oakland Coliseum. So all of a sudden I was moving to a place where I was going to be able to have season tickets to see my favorite football team, which was really cool for me. So I became an event planner and, you know, I have a back background in education, obviously a background in performance. Like, I'm not shy about speaking in front of people, obviously. So team building was really a good fit for the educational, you know, background and the event planning and background as well as, you know, the, the art performance thing is sort of a, a combination of all three of those particular disciplines. So it just made sense for me. There was an opportunity and I just, I started the business with a couple other people and we started off really poor and really broke. And I guess probably in year four or year five, it started to be successful. And as I said, you know, we did 200 events last year, uh, just yeah. last year and it's dead this year. Nothing's happening for the foreseeable future because we can't, yeah. we can't meet. I mean, it's quite literally against the law at this point, but it'll come back. And I think we probably do more team building events than just about any other company in California. We're certainly in the top two or three. So it's been successful. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, my parents still are like, what do you do for a living son? And it's just like, I pay bills, mom, don't worry about it. We're good. <laughs> but that's it. So, uh, yeah, team building is a weird thing. It's a weird discipline to fall into, but I really, I design and play games with people for a living, so there could be a lot worse jobs. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, Jamie, Matt, you guys got anything else for Ryan? Um, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I had quite a bit in the beginning, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan, I completely appreciate your time. Uh, we love the album. Um, I, th- I think we all do. It's, uh, and, uh, you know, it's especially because for us, it's like almost 10 o'clock here, but for you, it's almost 1 a.m. Uh, so oh, I, I appreciate it. think about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I appreciate Another couple hours before bedtime. So we're good, guys. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, this, the newest albums on Spotify. Where can, we find, where can we find the older albums? 
They're all in various places. Uh, I know iTunes slash Apple Music has all of the last five. The first album, uh, Matt, nobody ever gets to hear unless we're buddies. Uh, okay. I'll slip you. I'll slip you a copy <laughs> in the alley. Yeah. But uh, you can find you can find all of the last five albums on. I think Spotify has them all. I know on our website, which is littlekingtunes.com, on littlekingtunes.com, you can stream all five albums um, from YouTube. So we have all the songs uploaded to YouTube. But definitely iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify should have them all. I don't know, Google Play, Deezer, freaking hard to keep track of all the different places. I uh, I wish I had a better handle on it, but I don't. But I do know that those places all have all of the last, every song from the last five records are on YouTube and iTunes for sure. Perfect. 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 All right. Now we know where to get them. Yeah. Um, there you go. All right. Uh, Ryan's going to tell us the last song that we're going to play as we, as we head out. But uh, again, everybody, thank you very much. Uh, we saw him with a guitar. Does he want to play something? Live? Oh yeah! Instead, no, he does not. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we should ask. All right. <laughs> nice try, though. I appreciate that. <laughs> Man, it's one a.m. What are you talking uh, true, about? True, true. Got neighbors. Got neighbors. <laughs> well, the go kids ahead and leave us... in the other room. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and lead us into this next song. This sure. Is yeah. So we've been talking so much about right. Yeah, this is The Skin That I'm In, and this was uh, recorded again in uh, June of 2019 back in El Paso, Texas, and is somewhat autobiographical. I'll leave it open to interpretation in terms of which parts are and which part are, parts are not, but this is the one that I think has gotten the most airplay and is the one that has really sort of resonated with people, and there is that little violin and cello break in the middle of it, and I think probably my favorite and best recorded guitar solo um, as well as vocal performance that I've ever recorded. So glad I reached you guys. I'm super proud of this one. And I, I appreciate the attention that you guys have given me tonight and that you're, you know, you're helping me proselytize to the record. So I hope you guys, everybody out there that's listening appreciates this one. Uh, this is the skin that I'm in. All right, everybody have a good night. Stay, fa stay safe. You too. Thanks guys. Thank you. Bye guys.
Yeah.